The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, episode 18, aired March 4th, 1951. And if you've been listening this whole time, you know there's this running joke that Tallulah Bankhead has questionable singing ability. And she will often default into there's no business like show business when this topic is brought up. So what we have here is an appearance by the undisputed first lady of the musical comedy stage. No one questions the singing ability with this person. And their signature song is there's no business like show business. That would be Ethel Merman. So Ethel's here, and one of the very first things that stuck out to me upon reading about her is she was known for swearing and having vulgar jokes always on the ready. So that means she probably got along really well with Tallulah behind the scenes, and if it were current day or I was in their time, I would get along really well with them as well. (laughs) It's always fun to know what they're like behind um, the glitz and the glamour. But as said, Ethel Merman known much more widely for having this powerful singing voice. She enunciates well. She's got this wonderful pitch and she was naturally gifted. She actually never took singing lessons and was encouraged not to by industry people because she, what she brought was so raw and so pure that singing lessons would probably detract. There would be no net gain there to try to change how she sang naturally. And so when she's starting out, there are no microphones. And so she had a huge advantage by being able to hit those back seats, not just because she was loud, but because she was loud and excellent at what she was doing. So just became very popular very quickly. And she's known more as a theater actress. Uh, Her top four that people still know her for is known for Anything Goes, Annie Get Your Gun, Gypsy, and Hello Dolly. And of the three of the four, that I know they I, that seems to fit this this woman this personality and that big voice and then movie wise in 1954 the one she's most known for is there's no business like show business um, her appearance here a few weeks later she'll actually win a Tony award for best actress in a musical called call me madam so she's really at the top of her game as she kind of hits this show as a lot of these stars usually are uh, she introduced, I thought this was so interesting, when you think about Broadway standards, I think 70 years later, we still know I Got Rhythm, Everything's Coming Up Roses, The Lovely, I Get a Kick Out of You, and the aforementioned There's No Business Like Show Business. We still know those songs. They're standards for a reason. All of those were introduced by Ethel Merman. That's how influential and iconic she was in her time. She still has influence today. Um, And she had influence, huge influence at the time, sang at JFK's inaugural gala. And then a couple decades later, she was singing at the inauguration of Ronald Reagan. So very much a national figure for the majority of her career. And so fast forwarding a little bit, there is a joke that is political and topical, which means everybody in 1951 immediately got it. People in 2023, maybe not. (laughs) So the joke's about the 22nd Amendment. I love history. Um, I'm not up on my amendments for the most part. So that one I had to look up. So the joke was made during a segment with Margaret Truman, who was the first daughter at the time. Um, Her father is President Harry Truman. So the 22nd Amendment actually caps 
how long a president can serve. That's where we get our term limits for presidents. Two full terms and up to two years serving as president without an election, which in this, in most cases, it's because the sitting president dies and the vice president takes over, which was the case for Harry Truman. Truman, however, he took over FDR's fourth term very early in the term and served almost the entire four years. So the way the amendment is written today, Truman would not be able to have another term, but he was grandfathered in. So anyway, that that's the context of this 22nd Amendment joke that the audience got that we may not necessarily, depending on how, you know, immediately you can recall what all the amendments are. It was introduced because FDR won full, four full terms. So it was already in progress. It had nothing to do with Truman, but Truman would be the first president affected by it and could have basically served those four remaining or those what would have been almost four years in that final term of FDR he won his own four years and at this point he could have ran and won another four years but he was deeply unpopular at that point and uh, was just performing disastrously in the primaries of 1952 and so he just basically dropped out but anyway that's the context of the joke still funny all these years later once you know what it is even about and these shows are long right so some people you may be into it because of the dramatic acting or because of just the banter between the stars and maybe skip over some of the songs or maybe you're in it for the songs no matter the situation whatever you listen to these shows for I highly, highly recommend that you listen to Swamp Girl by Frankie Lane. It comes later in the show. It is. It sounds so innovative and so interesting. It absolutely just made me stop and turn. And be like, who is this? <laughs> it's. It, it just sounds so forward for 1951. It sounds very much um, like somebody who was pushing towards something different in the music arena. So Frankie Lane, Swamp Girl, when that comes on. Maybe don't fast forward. It's just this really interesting song for the time. So there we are. Ethel Merman, huge talent. A dated joke that's still funny once you understand why it would be funny. And um, a little glimpse into the musical future with Frankie Lane. So from March 4th, 1951, this is The Big Show. You're about to be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. For the next hour and 30 minutes, this program will present in person such bright stars as... Uh, Fred Allen. Clive Brook. Portland Hoffa. Frankie Lane. Ethel Merman. Margaret Phillips. Hugh Riley. Herb Schreiner. Margaret Truman. Meredith Wilson. And my name, darlings, is Lula Bankhead. <laughs> The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. So listen, America, the curtains up, America, we're going to fill your father full of stars. The Big Show, 90 minutes with the most scintillating personalities in the entertainment world. Brought to you this Sunday and every Sunday at the same time as the Sunday feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. And here is your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead.
Well, darlings, this week one of our guests is a very unusual young lady. She was on the big show once before, and I, I was quite nervous about it. But now that I know her, I am completely calm. I am determined to take this whole thing in my stride. Uh, my name is not Balula Tankhead. <laughs> or uh, whatever my name is. It escapes me for the moment. After all, I think of our guest as a fine singer, a charming personality, and a gracious young lady. Say, you don't have to put the dog on for me, Tallulah. Oh, not you, Ethel Merman, darling. <laughs> Ethel, my sweet, I wasn't talking about you. I was referring to another singer on this program, Margaret Truman. Well, leave us not forget that I, too, am a singer. Ethel, I'm not forgetting. It just so happens that Margaret is a personable young woman. Yes, I vote for that. A very warm and regular girl. I vote for that, too. And her father is president of the United States. Leave us not forget that I, too, am a singer. <laughs> uh, well, darling, you just keep on reminding us, will you? Besides, we sing different kinds of songs. Margaret sings classical stuff, and I sing popular. She's famous for long hair music, and I'm famous for pop. <laughs> Well, I won't even answer that one. I'm surprised at you, Tallulah, being this nervous. Haven't you ever met the daughter of a president before? Yes, I did meet one. Well, I hope you weren't this nervous with Miss McKinley. <laughs> Ethel, that's the way you talked to me a few months ago on your first appearance on this show. I was hoping you'd be a little more pleasant on this, your second and last appearance. <laughs> All right, Tulu, no more knocking. Very well, no more knocking. And I'll start off by saying I like your dress very much. Now, what do you mean by that crack? <laughs> Nothing. I just said I like your dress. Ethel, my pet, I've known you long enough to know that when you say you like my dress, you're hiding something. That's more than your dress does. <laughs> now, just a minute, no knocks, Ethel. In the first place, I have nothing to hide. You said it. I didn't. <laughs> Ethel, darling, this is really getting embarrassing. I mean, with Margaret Truman on the program and you and I acting like this, well, what does she think? Now, now let's be friendly. Uh, how's your play doing? Um, 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 Annie gets your gun. Tallulah, they're closed a couple of years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry, darling. <laughs> but you'll find something. <laughs> I did find something. Call me madam. Oh, well, of course, how stupid of me. I, I, I was thinking of Annie Get Your Gun because uh, I just saw the movie they made out of it, you know. And darling, you won't believe this, but uh, I sat all through the picture and you're not in it. <laughs> no kidding. No, really. For a while I thought you, I saw you in it, but uh, then when the credits came on to the end of the picture, it wasn't you at all. It was Louis Calhoun. <laughs> Well, tell me, darling, how's the Call Me Madam doing? Oh, selling out every performance, even standing room. Oh, I'm so happy for you, dear. You know I haven't seen the play yet. Uh, is there any chance of... Well, there are no seats to be had at all, Tallulah, but I can speak to our company manager, and he can stand you in the back of the theater. <laughs> darling, nobody can stand Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> you said it, I didn't. <laughs> What I mean is that surely you can find a pair of seats for me somewhere. Well, I mean, I got you a pair of tickets for this show tonight. 
And we fill 3,500 seats in this theater every Sunday. Now, how many does your theater hold? Oh, we hold only about 1,700. 1,700? Why, darling, I fill twice as many seats as you do. You said it, I did. <laughs> but you must remember, Tallulah, I fill the theater six nights a week and two matinees. People come from all over to hear me sing. Well, people come to hear me sing too, Bethel. Since you were lost on this program, I've been singing quite a bit. Well, uh, maybe, but I have a larger repertoire than you have. You said it. I didn't. <laughs> oh, I mean song. Oh, I don't know. No? Okay. Well, we'll see about that. Blow, Gabriel, blow. Come on and blow, Gabriel, blow. Give my regards to Broadway. Remember me to Harrow Square. I got rhythm. I got music. I got my man who could ask for anything more. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. Folks are dumb where I come from. They ain't had any learning. Still, they're happy as can be. You do it. Oh, it comes naturally. I'll give my regards to Broadway. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. I'll give my regards to Broadway. Good evening, Tallulah. Oh, Fred Allen. Fred, I'm awfully glad you dropped in on the show tonight. You know Margaret Truman is with us again. Uh, yes, I know, Tallulah. She's on the show for the second time. Uh-huh. Uh, this will give me a chance to say uh, goodbye to her. Goodbye? Why, darling? We expect to have her on as often as she'd like to come. Well, that's, I'm afraid that's not going to be possible to Lula. You know, now that they have ratified the 22nd Amendment, Margaret can only come back, uh, can't come back more than twice. <laughs> I almost fixed it so she didn't come back at all. Fred, <laughs> what's new, darling, in, uh, with your career? You're using the word loosely. Uh. Well, uh, since it has become apparent about my career, since it has become apparent that I know nothing about radio or television, I have had several offers to become a critic. Oh, Fred, I hope you'll give our show a good notice. Oh, I'm going to do better than that, Tulu. As it uh, is the custom now among the critics, I am going to present this show with an award. Now, all of the shows in radio or television are getting awards, most of them for courage. But we haven't gotten anything on this show. Well, I am here to remedy that omission. I have brought along a small framed citation. And before presenting it to you, I should like to read the inscription. Ah, oh, please do, darling. To the A&P Gypsies... <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, uh, that should be crossed out here and the name of your show written in. This, uh... Well, I, I can do that, Fred. Good. To the big show for the best hour and a half program on radio. But, darling, we're the only hour-and-a-half program on radio. Well, that's the idea. That's why you are getting this citation for endurance. <laughs> Shall I continue? Yes, read on. This citation is awarded to Miss Tallulah Brockman Bankhead, who has become the most... 
Uh, well, <laughs> the most what? Well, that's all the room we had to Lula. We couldn't, we couldn't get any more lines on the citation. It's very small in the frame. Well, here. darling, isn't there room on the back of it for a few lines? Oh well, no. You wouldn't want any lines on the back of it. I would. So, let me see that citation. Why, Fred, the back of it is just a mirror. That's right, a mirror. I told you you wouldn't want any lines there, would you, Tallulah? No, darling, that's very sweet of you. That's the nicest thing anybody said to me on this program. I think I'm going to cry. Oh, don't cry, Miss Bankhead. Ah, Meredith Wilson. Mary, darling, I'm so touched by this tribute Fred Allen has just paid me, and you could help a lot with one of your fine, bouncy tunes right now. I'd be glad to. Uh, what will you play? Well, sir, Miss Bankhead, <laughs> as long as Fred has given you a citation, the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus would like to dedicate this next number to you. Oh, well, this must be my day. Thank you, darling. We want to dedicate it to you because it's a 40-year-old number and it's being revived. <laughs> Well, thanks. I think. Play it, Buster. Okay, it's called Abba Dabba Honeymoon. She's like a blimp. I do, I do, I do. And now pronounce you monk and wife and wish you both a happy life and many, many progeny hanging from your family tree. Ever, 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 the chimpy to the monk. Ever, 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 the monkey to the chimp. All night long they chatter away, all day long they're a happy day, swinging and singing in a honky-tonky way. Monkey talk with Chip, I love you too. Take that boom one night in June. Marry them and marry soon they went upon their hand. Never honeymoon. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to welcome to the big show three distinguished players currently starred in the late Philip Barry's play at the Morosco Theatre, Mr. Clive Brook, Miss Margaret Phillips, and Mr. Hugh Riley. We hear a scene from Philip Barry's second threshold as revised by Robert E. Sherwood. Second Threshold is the story of a man, Josiah Bolton, who has carved for himself a distinguished career in law and in service to his country. He has arrived at the point when he has accomplished most of what he set out to do, but now he finds these achievements meaningless, his ambition futile. He wonders, well, here I am, but where am I? Where do I go from here? This feeling has become so strong that he has lost all interest in living itself. He even contemplates taking his own life. The fact that his daughter, Miranda, is about to sail for England to contract a loveless marriage with a man twice her age adds to Josiah's despair. It is in this state of mind that Miranda finds him on the eve of her departure. Do you remember that night in Washington, Father, when you wrote out your resignation to the president? I remember it well. Quite an eloquent document, if I may say so. I stormed and railed at you for being a quitter. But I certainly didn't know how completely you had quit. I didn't know that you were resigning from the obligation to live. Maybe it's a little like... Oh, I don't know. Casting off from all you've had and taking your bearings from new stars you can scarcely see. <laughs> Does that sound too romantic? It sounds lonely. Lonely. No, I don't know. I expect there are compensations. Whistle in the dark enough, and sometime you may hear an answering one. Pleasant weather down there? Cool. Why, who, who's that? I didn't hear anyone. A vision. An apparition. Quite an intelligent one. It's usually around here somewhere. I talk to it often. Father! Yes, daughter. Father, why can't it be the same again? The same as what? As, as when we worked together, when we were close to each other. Miranda, I would remind you of a passage in the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful and also one of the bitterest. I never heard you quote a passage from the Bible in all my life. If the salt has lost its savour, Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Think that one over, Miranda, then go on your way. Pick up your things, my dear, and move on. During the next 24 hours, Miranda's concern for her father has reached a critical stage. She has postponed her trip to England and is determined 
to make her father face the issue squarely. In the face of accusations leveled by Toby Wells, a young doctor and lifelong friend of the Boltons, who was in love with Miranda, and who was also seeking, on his own initiative, to bring matters to a head. Josiah Bolton is forced by a realization of his life's futility into bitter self-revelation. Have a look at me, ladies and gentlemen. A man who, from his youth, was bitten and consumed by the desire to get on. Once he left, he never went back to the town he was born in, the schools he attended, the college that graduated him. Desperately afraid of all human relationships, of his own and others' emotions, he finally starved them out, scared them off. Fearful, of course, that they might take from him something of himself. Vanity, vanity, saith the preacher. Oh, it's not true, you're the most... If you please, madam, no heckling in the court. No one was allowed any part of this individual but what he chose to give them. Never more than his thoughts and words. Tangy and pungent at times, perhaps, but still dried herring. He sought and eventually established complete residence in the realms of the mind. His only exchange with others, rigidly intellectual. Except, perhaps, in the case of his daughter. Yes. But that only when she was quite young. Later, he deliberately allowed her to identify herself with him, fostered this relationship until they became almost as one person. Toby, stop him! No. Then, when the cruel, inevitable necessity came to break the bond, he stupidly wondered at the fact that from the vacuum in which he left her, she went on to another, perhaps less benevolent, despot, and quite as suave, ruthless, and cynical as he... And two years older. Oh, it's not so. It's not that and way at happily all. happily it is. If Josiah Bolton had not been in the life where he was, there'd have been no Matthew Ashworth or anything like him now. Liar! Liar! But there it was. So when he finally cut off everyone around him and at last stood alone, as he thought he'd always wished to, he imagined what? He found himself lonely with the bleak, cold, crushing loneliness of the truly prideful ones. The simple capacity for friendship, God. The human capacity for affection. And finally, even the grim capacity for self-satisfaction. And serve him right. I tell you, I won't have it that Why way. Why not? Not the world or his times to blame for it, mind you. Himself, and himself only, arrived at last, himself destroyed, and his daughter set by him firmly on the path to the same end. A fine, crowning achievement to a lifelong struggle. What do you say, hmm? I say, let him rot! Go on, clear out now, both of you. Leave me alone. No, we'll not, we'll never. Don't be fearful anymore, daughter. Something else goes in the process. Courage! I'm likely to hang on for years. So while we are facing it squarely at last, let's agree there's been a mistake made, shall we? And the accident's purely accidental. What do you say? All willing? No, no. You're handing me some dirty old wool to pull over my own eyes so that I'll stop seeing what's plain as day and I'll tell you... 
Go on, Father dear. Go on out to Arizona and have another try. Try? Answer me this, Father, for the love of God. Who is it but yourself that you want to hurt? Nobody. You can believe that. Then on whose doorstep do you plan to leave the body? That question's irrelevant. Inadmissible. It's right on the button. That's where it is. Maybe you thought you were kidding when you talked about a second threshold. Maybe there is one. Leading into life, not death. Maybe you haven't the guts to step across. How dare you talk to my father that way. He isn't afraid of anything. Everyone close to him has let him down and, and, and life's piled up on him to a point where it's, where it's insupportable. Father, you can do what you like with your life. It's all yours. But I'm telling you now, you do that with it. And I'll do the same with mine and straight off, and that's a promise. No, that's oh, it's no threat, believe me, it's a promise. Mandy, let's I hear no more of that. To. I wouldn't want to at all. Because, well, because for all the awful things about it and all the scrapes I get into, I love living, I love it. And oh, Father, Father, if only you would again, because I love you too. And I'm so crazy about Toby that I don't know where I'm at. What did I say just then? All the same, I'd do it. I would, I would, I'd promise, 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 hear me. I hear you. Then what do you have to say? What do you want me to do? What, what we've been asking you. Or begging you. Get yourself well. I'll do anything. Anything you wish. What do you mean, that? Is that the truth? For as far as I can see, I mean it. And what you said about Toby, do you mean that too? I guess. Yes, I, I guess so. I guess I'm not responsible for my emotions these days. Then what are you going to do about it? I, I don't know. Yes. Yes, I do. I'm going to sail for England tonight. Mandy. Toby, you realize you, you must that, that I have to go over and explain it myself to Matthew. That, that no telegrams, uh, letters, telephones will do. You, you do realize. Being you, yes. But I'd like to see you off. I'll get a taxi. Oh, uh, may I come back later, sir? Yes, of course. I'll be out. No sentiment between us. Never was any. No. So I can say something, can't I? If you want to. I'm glad about what's happened today. Because you discovered I'm not such a brain after all. I'm just plain dumb? No. I discovered that my daughter doesn't want her father to die. Now get the devil out of here. Go on. Don't keep the Cunard line waiting. Well, they've gone. Yes, I hear you, old friend. But I have to tell you that I am not interested. So go away. I don't want you around here. Go away. Beat it. Get out. 
Bradley Dunn, Clive Brook, Margaret Phillips, and Hugh Riley. Margaret Phillips, I want to chat with you first. Darling, you are one of the best of all us young actresses around today. Now, let me see you insult me after that. <laughs> Why, Tallulah, I wouldn't dream of insulting you. Oh, you're sweet. I think you're just right for that part you play in Second Threshold. Of course, if I'd played the part, I would have given it more depth and understanding, you believe. <laughs> Can't you just see me in that part, my dear? Oh, yes. Tallulah Bankhead in Second Childhood. <laughs> Why does everybody on this program think they have to... Oh, well. Hugh, Hugh Riley, come here, darling. Now, don't you start anything. This is a bad day. Everybody wants to make trouble for me. Well, it looks like the cards are stacked. May I return the compliment and say that you are, too? <laughs> well, thank you, darling. What are you doing off the show? What do you have in mind, Tallulah? Oh, I thought we'd play some cards. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Uh, Clive Brook, oh, it's been such a very long time since you've been in our country. Uh, yes, I made a picture with you, Tallulah. Do you remember Tarnished Lady? That uh -huh. was 15 years ago. I went back to England right after that. <laughs> Coward! <laughs> now you're back, starring on Broadway. The play sounds exciting. Now, that scene you gave us in, uh, is from the end of the play. Now, how does the, uh, how does the play begin? Uh, well, as the curtain rises, Margaret Phillips, who plays my daughter, is talking to the young doctor. And she tells him she's going to England to get married. And then Ethel Merman sings, you're not sick, you're in love. And <laughs> after that, I make my entrance. And now, just a moment, Clive. You say in your play, Ethel Merman sings? Well, it's not exactly in our play, you see. We're at the Morasco Theatre, Miss Merman's at the Imperial block away, and <laughs> you know Ethel's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do indeed. Well, I'm glad somebody knows my voice. When do I get to sing my song on this program? Ethel, darling, I've explained to you that Margaret Truman is on our program and she is also a singer. Now, we must wait till we all meet her. Well, let's meet her. <laughs> You'll all meet her in a few moments. Oh, and Fred, how about you? Don't you want to see Margaret Truman again? Well, I certainly do. I have this envelope here I want to give her. Oh, really? What's in it? Uh, my taxes. <laughs> Maybe... <laughs> Maybe I can save her a little by cutting out the middleman and give You've been listening to It's Easter Time, played by Meredith Wilson. In a moment, we will meet Miss Truman. 
But first, I want to ring my chimes. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is the National Broadcasting Company's Sunday extravaganza with the most scintillating personalities in show business. The Big Show, the Sunday night feature of NBC's All-Star Festival, is brought to you by the makers of Anacin for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. And by Chesterfield, the cigarette that has for you what every smoker wants. Mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. The cigarette that brings you Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. The big stars in this program are Fred Allen, Clive Brook, Portland Hoffa, Frankie Lane, Ethel Merman, Herb Schreiner, Margaret Truman, Meredith Wilson and his big show orchestra and chorus. And every week, your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Well, darlings, we are about to present a young lady from Independence, Missouri, Washington, D.C., and the cover of last week's Time magazine. Now, Margaret Truman is a bright, talented, lovely girl, and I didn't begrudge her being on the cover of Time. Well, I enjoyed reading the articles about her, but the fuss they made about her having just become 27 years old. <laughs> well... Nobody paid that much attention to me, and I was 27 for years. <laughs> well, in any case, ladies and gentlemen, may I present Miss Margaret Truman. Hello, Tallulah. Well, Margaret, darling, I presented you as simply and unpretentiously as you asked me to. But I still think you're wrong, you know. This is such a large theater. You could have had such an impressive entrance with the big orchestral fanfare and you riding on top of an elephant. Are you kidding, Tallulah? Me on an elephant? Oh, I see what you mean, Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't thinking I would make a mistake like that. I feel like a jackass. That's more like it. Margaret, I was just talking about that story in Time magazine. It had a lot of warm, personal touches that I loved. Uh, for instance, that one episode in your life uh, when you were at school and you had picked up the habit of calling everybody Deary. That was a true story, but I was finally cured of the habit. Yes, the story said your father fined you ten cents every time you used the word Deary. Yes, and I was completely cured when it cost me 40 cents in one evening at the dinner table. That ten-cent fine really works. You should try it, darling. <laughs> Try what, darling? Try breaking yourself of the habit. Of what habit, darling? Don't you know? I don't know what you're talking about, darling. You used three of them in a row. That would cost you 30 cents. 30 cents for what, darling? That's 40 cents. 40 cents, darling. I'm talking about you, darling. The time you were fined 40 cents for saying, dearie, darling. 
<laughs> they began introducing new taxes with you rather early, didn't they, darling? If they'd started with you, darling, we'd have a national surplus today, darling. <laughs> no, isn't she sweet? <laughs> Speaking of making money, Margaret, the article in Time said you're cleaning up with concerts, radio and television appearances, RCA records. Why, Margaret, you'll be making more money than a president of the United States. Well, a vocalist always makes more money than the accompanist. <laughs> well, darling, Margaret, what's new in the uh, romance department? Oh, I haven't time for that now, Tallulah. My career takes up all my time. Uh, I know, but you should have innumerable men to choose from. Because after all, darling, you're charming, personable, attractive. And besides, Margaret, who wouldn't want to marry you? After all, you are working. <laughs> so how come you're still single? <laughs> now look here, Judy Holiday. Well, after all, Tallulah, let's face it. Why aren't you thinking of marriage? You're personable, attractive, charming... And after all, you're not getting any richer. Well, this month is March the 15th, isn't it, darling? Who is? So let's take in a little money now, shall we? And let Ed Hurley read a message from the sponsor. If you would like to know a quick, easy way to ease the pain of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, then by all means, try Anison. Your own dentist or physician may at one time or another have handed you an envelope containing Anison tablets. Then you already know how incredibly fast and effectively Anison brings relief. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. For your own sake, try Anison. Anison is sold to you on this guarantee. If the first few tablets do not give you all the relief you want as fast as you want it, you may return the unused portion and your money will be refunded. You can get Anison tablets at any drug counter. Anison comes in handy boxes of 12 and 30 tablets and economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Well, Margaret, what were we saying? I don't remember. But I would like to say that I'm glad you invited me to be on your show this week. Ah, uh -huh, Margaret, you're sweet. I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be on a program with a star of such great magnitude. Oh, Margaret, you're sweet. You know I've always admired Ethel Merman. Oh. Oh, you like Ethel Merman? Of course, don't you? Oh, well, yes, professionally. She's simply superb. Well, aren't you friendly with her? Well, yes, I suppose you could call us friends in the manner of not speaking. <laughs> I thought you and Ethel were very close. She's one of your friends who always says the nicest things about you. Yes, those are the worst kind, darling. <laughs> well, I like her very much. You do, huh? Well, it's all right with me, Margaret, only... Only what? Well, you see, she's a singer, and you're a singer. And Ethel told me before the show that she feels it's more important to sing later in the show, and she'd prefer you to sing first. Oh, is that all? Well, Tallulah, it doesn't matter to me who sings first. Just so it's Ethel. Well, you see, that's the problem I'm having this week. Well, say, Tallulah, perhaps I can help solve your problem. <laughs> oh, Fred Allen. Come here, Margaret. You remember Fred Allen? Of course. Hello, Fred. Well, how do you do, Margaret? It's so nice to see you again. How is uh, everybody at home? 
Oh, they're away on a short vacation down in Key West. Oh, that's nice. And how is the good old Veep? I think he's away, too. Really? And you're spending most of your time here in New York? That's right, Fred. Well, who's minding the store? <laughs> Fred, wasn't there something you wanted to ask Margaret to do for you? That envelope you oh, wanted yes, to... Oh, yes, the envelope. Here it is. Margaret, would you get back home to Washington? I wonder if you'd mind dropping this off at the Bureau of Internal Revenue. Uh, what is it? Your income tax? No, it's my income. I can't afford the tax. <laughs> By the way, I'd appreciate it if, if you'd explain to the man there about a little item they, they may question here on my tax. I've listed $42,552.20 under entertainment. That's when I was doing my television show. Uh, well, was it really entertainment? Well, Margaret, that's another question. <laughs> Well, television is still in its infancy, isn't it, Fred? No, it was in its infancy about two years ago. But it's grown up now and has reached the walking stage. More people are getting up and walking away from it than... Fred, can we get back to our original subject, oh. darling? You said something about solving my problem. Now, having two singers like Ethel Merman and Margaret Truman on the show. Oh, yes. Well, from what I heard, neither Ethel nor Margaret wants to sing first. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a young lady here who will sing first. She's waiting off stage here now. And with a little persuasion, I can keep her off stage. Esther Allen! Too late. Gordon Hopper. Portland, have you met Margaret? Who? Portland, this is the Margaret, the daughter of you-know-who. Oh, I'm pleased to meet you, Your Highness. And how is your sister? Hello, Portland. In the first place, don't call me Your Highness. In the second place, I have no sister. Well, doesn't Princess Margaret have a sister named Elizabeth? And she has a son named Charles? Aren't you Charlie's aunt? <laughs> Darling, you're thinking of Ray Bolger. Ray Bolger is her sister? Portland, this is Margaret Truman. Oh, Margaret Truman, the singer. Yes. That's right, Portland. Oh, I've enjoyed your singing many times, and I've always wanted to meet you. Mama said if I ever met you to find out all about you, where you come from, who your folks are, how you got started, and if anybody in your family was ever in show business. No, I'm the only one in show business. Really? How does it feel to be the first one in your family to become famous? Fred, can't you do something about this? What about this song you said she was going to sing? Well, I guess the only way to keep Portland quiet is to let her sing. Portland, are you ready to sing? Now? Yes, Portland, now. We want somebody to sing and break the ice. Well, this will break something. <laughs> you better take off your glasses, Tallulah, and put them away. Hide them someplace. Portland, uh, okay, Portland. You see, I have my banjo on my knee. It plays underwater. I, uh, I have a small pontoon on it underneath here. Shall we try it? What are you going to play, Fred? Well, I am going to play by a request. It's really a request. The party since died, but in his will, I'm yeah. honored. <laughs> I am going to play. I am, 
I'm going to play an old song, Sweet Marie, on my banjo. And Portland will sing a reasonable facsimile of it. <laughs> now, this may, be the, this may be a momentous evening. This may be the end of radio and the end of all music as we know it today. <laughs> Sweet Marie, it's a tale I would impart love to thee. Every daisy in the dell knows my secret, knows it well. Still I do not dare to tell, sweet Marie. Come to me. Sweet Marie, come to me Not because your face is fair, love to see But your soul so pure and sweet Makes my happiness complete Makes me falter at your feet Sweet Marie Here's a word from RCA Victor. Inch for inch, your best buy in television is RCA Victor 19-inch. Yes, a great many families have taken this advice to heart and bought the thrilling RCA Victor 19-inch, truly the most exciting buy in television. When you buy television, remember that the set you choose will be the very hub of your home for years to come. So select the screen size you'll really want most. The bigger and better RCA Victor 19-inch pictures are the just-right size for family viewing. Big enough to watch from across the room, and yet so clear and sharp, you can sit up close. That's RCA Victor's million-proof quality for you. Quality proven in over two million homes. Your dealer can show you RCA Victor 19-inch television in a table model, a console floor model, or a combination television radio phonograph. See them. Learn why, inch for inch, your best buy in television is RCA Victor, 19-inch. Hello, Margaret. Glad to see you again. Oh, you know Ethel Merman, don't you, darling? Oh, yes. Then I'm sure you won't want to speak to her. <laughs> Ethel, I suppose you're ready to sing your song now. In due time, I'd like to have a little chat with Margaret first. Then I want to talk to you too, Ethel. I certainly enjoyed you and Call Me Madam. Thank you, dear. I could have had that part in Call Me Madam. <laughs> they offered it to me, you know. Tallulah, that was Call Me Mister. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Ethel. <laughs> I've enjoyed you in many of the plays you've done. I saw you and Annie get your gun several times. That ran four years, didn't it? No, Margaret, two years. Oh, only half a term. <laughs> but even so, singing as exuberantly as you do every night for two years, 
I wish I had your lungs. <laughs> Don't mention that back in Washington. They've taken everything else I've got. <laughs> a special exhale tax, no doubt. <laughs> By the way, Margaret, I was in Washington a few weeks ago, and I tried calling you at the White House, but there was no answer. Oh, you should have tried the Blair House. They would have called me to the phone. The Blair House? What's that, darling? A candy store? <laughs> How's everybody back home, Margaret? They're fine, thank you. How's your family? How are your two children, that cute little girl and that bright little boy? Oh, Ethel and Bobby are wonderful. And Margaret, I trust you won't think I'm being the typical doting American mother when I tell you that I hope someday my son will grow up to be president of United States Steel. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, darling, it's all very well to have you two girls standing here blabbering, but I think it's time for a song. Oh, good. Go ahead, Ethel. Sing something. Oh, no, you sing, Margaret. My song can wait. Oh, but I'm sure everyone's waiting to hear you sing. It's very kind of you to say that, but I know they're anxious to hear you sing. Oh, no, they want to hear you. Oh, I'm sure they want to hear you. Give my regards to Broadway. Oh, no, no, that's I'll sing. Don't bother, Ethel. I'll sing. I'm already, darling. I don't care who sings as long as it's one of us. Listen to the mockingbird. Listen to the mockingbird. Oh, no, Tony. Let's have a little quiet here. If it's going to be like that, I'm calling on Frankie Lane. And the song that Frankie is going to sing is that sensational record he made of Swamp Girl. Where the craze flies through the marshes and the turtles sun their shells where the water rat goes swimming that's where my swan girl dwells Where the sunlight never wanders And the moonlight never falls Where the water's black with the devil's track That's where my swan girl calls what did she say there, the girl with the golden hair, to make me follow her down there? How did she look when she took me by the hand? Tonight her hair will float in the water and the gold will no longer shine. It will spread like a fan in the water while she makes a mysterious sign. I have seen that sign before. Her eyes on life, the whippoorwill, and her eyes on life, the fall. Her eyes are just like the diamond bag stretching in 
the dawn. I have seen her face in the water and the chilling look in her eyes. And if you see her, then you must leave her. Never follow the solution lies. Or will you go to the girl with the golden hair down there where her work is done? Will you embrace the night and turn your back on the sun? She'll say it's better there in the water where it's cool and calm and serene. She will call you to come to the water to a world made of emerald green. I have heard that call before. I can hear it way. I can hear it when I'm ill I can hear it when The joy of living Seems to have lost its thrill For my swamp girl lives inside of me And she leaves me pale and warm She dares me She tears me Like paper dolls are torn Calling come to the deep Where your sleep is without a dream Calling, calling for me. Beautifully done, Frankie. Now, don't go away, darling. I want you to meet Margaret. But first, let's meet and greet Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Now, here's Chesterfield's answer to Cyrano de Bergerac, Bob Hope. I'd top easy, Dad, but we only have a minute here to sell Chesterfield. Okay, well, let's get to it. Better-tasting Chesterfield is the only cigarette that combines for you mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. Mm, the mildness is a cinch to prove. You just make the Chesterfield mildness test. You know, open a pack and enjoy that milder aroma. Then smoke them... And you'll know that Chesterfields are mild. And Chesterfield leaves no unpleasant aftertaste. That fact has been confirmed by the country's first and only cigarette taste panel. So make our cigarette your cigarette. The reasons go together like this. Chesterfield, Chesterfield always takes first place. That milder, mild tobacco never leaves an aftertaste. Oh, ho, open a pack and give them a smell. Then you'll smoke them. Hey, Frankie, come here, will you please, darling? Hiya, Tallulah. Uh, I'm going to have you meet Margaret Truman in a minute. You might be able to help her, you know. She's making records for RCA Victor. You've been pretty successful with your records, haven't you, Frankie? Well, let's just say that we've been pretty lucky. Uh-huh. We've made some records, though, that have sold over a million copies. Yes, I know. You make those long-selling records. <laughs> but what I can't understand is where you find the time to make all those millions of records. Each one must take at least three minutes. 
<laughs> no, darling, you don't understand. We only make the actual record once, and then they make pressings from the master record. Oh, then your records are just copies. Well, naturally. Oh, well, I've made some records, you know, but I wouldn't make copies. <laughs> Each one is an original. Now, just what do you mean? And well, whenever they get an order for a record, they call me up and I come down and make one. <laughs> Well, I had an order for one about six weeks ago. You did? I forgot now which one it was, though. It was either I'll be seeing you or you go to my head. Well, it doesn't matter because, fortunately, they're both the same melody. <laughs> Tallulah? Yes, darling? I'd like to meet Frankie Lane. Well, of course, Margaret. Come here. Miss Truman, may I present Mr. Lane? How do you do? <laughs> Gee, Miss Truman, this is an honor. Uh, Margaret, I thought Frankie could tell you something about making records. Oh, I wish he would. Well, Miss Truman, I've always found that the best way to make successful records is to make only hits. That's a big help. <laughs> Frankie, why don't you tell her about the actual way to record? All right. Tell me, are you going to record at uh, 45 or 78, Miss Truman? Well, you've got me stumped already. Then that makes us even. I stumped for you in 1948. <laughs> Maggie, what, what do you mean, 45 or 78? Well, you know, revolutions per minute. 45 revolutions per minute or 78 revolutions. Tululu, you've made some records. Which are you? 45 or 78? Oh, I'm 45. <laughs> you said it, Tululu, I didn't. <laughs> Ethel, we are not... We're talking about recording. Something you know nothing about. Oh, I know nothing about records. You mean you haven't heard any of my records? I didn't know you had to record. I thought people just opened their windows. <laughs> one song of yours I just love, Ethel, is one you did in a picture, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Would you do it for me? Sure, I'd be glad to. Ladies and gentlemen, I will now sing... Uh, one moment, Buster. <laughs> a bankhead is still the speaker of this house. <laughs> I will introduce you. Ladies and gentlemen, the exciting voice of Miss Ethel Merman in Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come on and hear, come on and hear, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come on and hear, come on and hear, it's the best band in the land. They can play a bugle call like you never heard before. So natural that you want to go to war. That's just the bestest band what I am. Oh, my honey lamb, come on along, come on along. Let me take you by the hand. Up to the man, up to the man, who's the leader of the band. And if you care to hear the Swanee River played in ragtime, come on and hear, come on and hear, Honey, better hurry and let's meander. Ain't you going? Ain't you going to the leader man, ragged meter man? Oh, my honey, oh, my honey, let me take you to Alexander's grandstand brass band. Ain't you coming along? Come on along. Come on and hear. It's the best band in the land, so come on and hear. Come on and hear. Alexander's ragtime band. 
bugle call like you never heard before. That's just the bestest band what I'm on oh my land. Come on along, come on along, let me take you by the hand. Up to the man, up to the man, who's the leader of the band. And if you can't I hear the Swanee River played in right time, come on and hear, come on and hear. Well, thank you, Ethel Merman, and better luck next time. <laughs> That's what it says here. <laughs> but I want to say that you were, as usual, superb. And we want to hear some more singing from you later on. We also are going to hear Margaret Truman's song. And we have a very funny fella in Herb Schreiner coming up. And a beautiful medley, all in just a moment after Ed Hurley, he says... This portion of the program has been brought to you by the makers of Anacin for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. And by Chesterfield, the cigarette that has for you what every smoker wants, mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. The best cigarette for you to smoke. And now, Tallulah, if you'll ring your chime. Of course. This, darlings, is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is the big show. And Tallulah Bankhead is about to introduce Miss Margaret Truman's song. Yes, darlings, this is the moment you've all been waiting for, I'm sure. We're about to hear... Uh, oh, Miss Brankhead. Oh, yes, Herb. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is that fella from Indiana, the very clever Herb Schreiner. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be getting to you in just a moment, Herb. Uh, Miss Truman's going to sing now. That's all right with me. I hope she sings something classical. Uh, do you get any classical music back home? No, we don't get any of that. How about opera? No, we don't get any opera. We get quite a bit of snow, though. Well, I'm sure that must be fun, dear. But what I'm talking about are the finer things, like the legitimate theater, the drama, the immortal works of the great playwrights. Uh, do you ever get any Shakespeare in your hometown? Well, I'll tell you, Miss Bankhead, we had one Shakespeare company come there one time, and uh, they put on this here uh, Romeo and Juliet, but uh, nobody went. Uh, you see, the Boy Scouts had put on the very same show once, and uh, once he used to go, we all knew how the story come out. <laughs> but I'd like to apologize uh, for the way I'm dressed here, by the way. Uh, if I'd known I was going to meet Miss Truman, I'd have sent home for my good suit. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with the suit you have on? Oh, it's all right. A fellow made it for me back home. A fellow's very handy with a needle back there. He's a sailmaker. <laughs> He makes a pretty good suit. The only trouble is if you get caught in a high wind, you don't know what time you're going to get home. Well, we'll discuss that a little later, Herb. Okay, I'll just go over here and sit there and think. Maybe I'll just sit. I already thought some. Well, you decide which end to use. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, darling. Meanwhile, here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Truman singing... 
Love is where you find it. Merit, if you please, darling. Darling, you're in wonderful voice tonight. Thank you, Tallulah. Oh, Margaret, I'd like you to meet Herb Schreiner. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Schreiner? I understand you're from Indiana. That's right, Indiana. Thirteen electoral votes. <laughs> I sure enjoyed the song, Miss Truman. That's the name, ain't it? Just want to be sure. You got some swell voice on you. Oh, do you like classical music? Oh, I love it. I'm kind of musical myself, you know. I, uh... Used to play the harmonica and by note and everything, oh, you know. I see. And uh, I was always interested in the classical stuff myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if a number wasn't classical, I wouldn't mess with it. Oh, that's, that's right. Fun. In fact, uh, one of my best tunes I used to play was something like the one you just sang. It was one, of course, that came from way back in the days there with uh, King Louis the XIII, and uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was actually very classical, this number. I'll tell you the truth. Harmonica playing is a funny thing. Uh, I was always kind of crazy about show business anyways. And uh, around home there, the harmonica kind of kept me going. I was, 
Well, I was always kind of anxious to get into some kind of a show. I was in a small show there once. We had a, me and another fellow got into this, uh, we worked in the drugstore window with our show. <laughs> and, uh, well, he was uh, very good. He was uh, dressed up like a doctor, and I was, uh, the other fellow, I was barefooted. And we were going along pretty good, and then my corn healed up, and I had to quit. <laughs> but, uh, kind of a crimp in us. But it's very hard to get started in the show business in a small town. Uh, Miss Bankhead, I was just thinking, you know, we only had actually one fella that ever got on the stage uh, from around home there. He was a, uh, well, he was actually cut out for it. He was a, a very, a kind, of, kind of a nice wit on him. And, uh, well, I, actually, he was a genius. And he was very smart, too. He was one of these fellas, <laughs> kind of a smart genius, the only one I ever run across myself. And uh, he was no dummy either, I'll tell you that. Some of the stuff, <laughs> some of the stuff that fella had come out with, uh, I remember one particular night, uh, there was a bunch of us, we was down in front of the feed store, and uh, we wasn't doing nothing. And uh, we'd been at it for about a week, we was trying to get it finished, you know. <laughs> And uh, he pulled a good one on us. He walks up and he says, uh, long time no see. Well, we laughed quite a while over that. I don't know know where he'd get them. He had a lot of those things. Oh, what a sense of humor he had. I'll tell you, I don't know. Of course, he had traveled. He was uh, one of these fellas. He'd been everywhere. He'd been up to Michigan there once and uh, <laughs> got back all right, you know, and he's, uh, he knew his way around and he used to read. He read all the time. He was a regular bookworm. He got the popper mechanic every month. <laughs> Anything new come out, he'd get it, too. He was just as quick as a trigger. He had this, uh, well, you take like when the hot foot come out. He was the first one in town to send away for the directions. <laughs> He just as quick, and I tell you, he had, I believe, without exaggerating, Miss Bankhead, he had one of the best personalities that I've ever run across. He got it from drinking, too. It was a darn thing. <laughs> uh, he did. He was, uh, he was drunk and a skunk quite a bit, and it just seemed to, uh, it kind of set him off, and in fact, it put him over. I'll tell you what he did. He got into this big club uh, the, uh, from the east here, this uh, alcoholic uh, unanimous uh, <laughs> Well, he was way up in that. I don't know how far up there he was. He, uh... In fact, I tell you, he was a mail-order member. He didn't even go to the meetings. He used to drink and send in the empty bottles. <laughs> They'd give him credit. But uh, he was a very nice fellow, and you'd never look... Ne- when you first take a look at that fellow, you wouldn't think that he had the wit on him that he had. He, when he first come to town, he'd just been uh, kind of a stranger there. And uh, he'd been a traveling fellow selling lightning rods. And uh, he's going along swell. And then one night he got caught in a storm with a bunch of samples. And I don't know. <laughs> it, uh, he just kind of lost interest in it then. <laughs> and uh, he couldn't seem to get, he wanted to stay there in town. He couldn't get started. He didn't know what exactly to do. And he just tried everything. He was selling busted cookies there for a while, you know. And... Uh, Oh, he was weeding onions and delivering sheep dip, anything he could to get going. And uh, finally, uh, he got a little bit better known, and uh, people got to kind of liking him, and uh, he was doing odd jobs. He just, uh, 
getting known, people letting him do little jobs like if they had a cat up a tree. So, uh, he'd climb up there and get the cat. And they'd usually give him something for it, of course. And uh, they'd usually give him the cat, anyway. <laughs> well, just when he was getting kind of discouraged, uh, he wasn't going to make any, anything or get anywhere. Overnight, he'd become a, a, a huge success in one afternoon. It was a very odd thing. Uh, he, was, uh, he found a nickel in a potato. Now, that put him over. It was in a regular a live potato, a living potato. And right in there, he had it cut open so you could see the nickel. And that thing put him over while his name was in the paper every day for a week. The paper only came out once a week, but he was in there. And on the strength of that, he started, uh, you know, acting very important. He had some cards printed and... Uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, why people would come around in front of the house, you know, and drive up there and sell balloons and everything, and uh, they'd uh, they'd stand around out there in front and they'd say, uh, "There he is," and he was too. He's one of these. Uh... Well, he was very slick, and uh, he seen he had a good thing there. And, and the very day that he really got going, they sent some fellas out from New York. Uh, a couple of radio fellas uh, They was going to I think they was some uh, We the People people I believe they was <laughs> They come out They was going to put him on the radio uh, At the time We didn't have no television uh, We were still trying to get Something good on the radio <laughs> These two fellas Was going to put him on And the very day He was getting interviewed His potato disappeared <laughs> And the nickel in there And everything He was just wiped out It was just uh <laughs> Clean him out. He went down to nothing overnight, and it just broke his heart. And uh, I don't know, a bunch of us friends of his tried to help him make a comeback. We did what we could there. We looked through potatoes. I don't know. I, I guess I looked through about two bushels of potatoes myself. But we never found another potato with a nickel in it. It was just luck or something. We, uh, we found one with three cents in it. I remember that. <laughs> And uh, one of the other boys found a potato with a landing button in there, but it just never hit it again. It was a, a terrible shame. And that's the thing about show business. I was trying to say, Miss Bankett, is that it's a very peculiar thing. In fact, uh, there was a great philosopher who once said something about it. I can't think of the philosopher's name right offhand. I can't think what he said neither now, but I tell you, it was... <laughs> Hit the nail on the head, but I, I can't. Uh, I can't talk too much more about show business. But I think I'm going to simmer down now. I'm going to go back and set. Okay. Herb Schreiner, that was like a breath of fresh Indiana air. You must come again very soon. And now we offer a salute to one of the greatest songwriters America has ever known. That naturally would be the beloved Irving Berlin. So Meredith Wilson, the big show chorus and orchestra, joins Ethel Merman, Margaret Truman, Frankie Lane, Fred Allen, and myself in a medley of the songs America Sings and Loves.
like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing, everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no people like show people, they smile when they are low. Yesterday they told you you would not go far, that night you open and there you are. Next day on your dressing room they hung a star, let's go on with the He received first prize for playing checkers and he cheated. Can you beat it? He's a devil in his own hometown. Blue sky smiling at me. Nothing but blue sky do I see. Song. Nothing but bluebirds all day long. I never saw the sun shining so bright. I never saw things going so right. Noticing the days hurrying by. When you're in love, gee, my how they fly off. Blue days, all of them gone. From now on <laughs> Remember the night The night you said Thank you. 
Well, what a genius that man, Irving Berlin. I'll say amen to that, Tallulah. And look, if you don't need me anymore, do you mind if I leave now? Oh, go right ahead, Ethel. Oh, by the way, say hello to Russell Knight for me, will you, sweetie? Okay, good night. And remember me to Paul Lucas, too. Okay, good night. And if you see Ray Middleton, say hello for me, too. Okay, good night. And oh, yes, remember me to Robert Alder. Okay, Tallulah. And say hello for me to Jose Ferrer. Yes, I will, And too. oh, yes, John Gilgood and Dennis King. And look, uh, Tallulah, why don't I just uh, give your regards to Good Isn't she dull? <laughs> Tallulah, I'd like to run now, too, if you don't mind. Oh, Margaret, why don't you wait and we'll have dinner together? Oh, thanks, Tallulah, but I really must run. But, Margaret, I thought we might have a little chat. Some other time, Tallulah. Good night. I really must run. All right, if you must. Good night, darling. Those Truman's always running. <laughs> oh, Fred, are you leaving? I want to talk to you. Uh, have you got a minute? Oh, yes, Tallulah. It may surprise you to know that my great-great-grandfather was a minute man. <laughs> Ever since then, in our family, we have always had a minute. And uh, accumulating all of those minutes, I have arrived at the time when I have the entire evening I don't know when I'm supposed to come in, Fred. Oh, no, well, thank heaven for one man whose time is his own. Bulliver and I. Fred, I want to ask your advice on how to deal with these guests I have on the show. You know, sometimes they do get out of hand. Like Ethel Merman, for instance. Well, Tallulah, I am so glad that you asked me. Now, I notice, I've noticed on several occasions that you have trouble. Now, what you really need, if you really will take my advice, what you need is to learn to be firm. Yes, darling. Uh -huh. You need an iron hand. Uh-huh. The mailed fist. Yes. You know the Rock of Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Now, that's how I handle people. Just show them that you are the boss. Fred, are you coming? Oh, yes, coming, coming right away, Portman. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, uh, Tallulah, I have to run now, too. The Rock of Gibraltar, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> What happened to your mailed fists, the iron hand? Well, I forgot to tell you, everything I have is in my wife's name. <laughs> well, Tallulah, I think I'll be leaving now, too, if you don't mind. Good night, Frankie, darling. Now, be sure to button up your overcoat and watch that beautiful voice of yours. Okay, and uh, you watch uh, your voice, too, huh? I'll be seeing you. What can happen to my voice? It hasn't already happened. <laughs> Oh, Herb, you leaving too. Did you enjoy being on the big show? Yeah, I wish I'd known you had a show like this sooner. You mean that you never heard the show before? Surely you read about it in your newspaper. Well, you see, back home our paper only comes out once a week, and uh, hardly anybody ever buys it. Uh, we know what everybody's doing. <laughs> Just once in a while you might buy it to see if they get caught at it. <laughs> Good night, Herb. <laughs> come back again. Clive Brook? How about you? Did you enjoy the show, darling? This has been quite an experience for me, Tallulah. You do this every week. Indeed we do. For instance, next week we have Bob Burns, Jimmy Durante, Billy Eckstein, Celeste Holm, Evelyn Knight, and, of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the big show Oxford Chorus and others. Try to listen, won't you? And until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you whether near or far away. Ethel. May you find that long-awaited golden day today, Herb. May your troubles all be small ones and your fortune ten times ten. Fred. May the good Lord bless and keep you 
till we meet again, Portland. May you walk with sunlight shining and a bluebird in every tree. Margaret, may there be a silver lining back of every cloud you see. Meredith? Fill your dreams with sweet tomorrows. Never mind what might have been. Clive? May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again. Frankie? May you long recall each rainbow. Then you'll soon forget the rain. May the warm and tender memories be the ones that will remain. Little dreams with me. May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet, till we Good night, darlings, and Godspeed to our armed forces who hear these broadcasts each week all over the world. The Big Show is produced and directed by D. Engelbach and written by Goodman Ace, Selma Diamond, George Foster, Mort Green, and Frank Wilson. Keep tuned to NBC, for in just one hour, Theater Guild on the Air presents a great production, Shakespeare's Hamlet, starring John Gilgood with Dorothy McGuire and Pamela Brown. This is Ed Hurley, he's speaking. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye, next on most NBC stations.